Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the podcast. I hope you are having a great week. We have a fantastic show lined up. Joining me today on this episode is a good friend of mine, Joe Estrella, and he is a history buff who also happens to have taught history. We talked about a whole bunch of things. We talked about the current political climate that the country is going through. We talked about racism. We talked about mass shootings and how police unfairly treat some of our citizens. We also talked about being fathers and raising kids in this day and age. It was a great conversation. But before we get started, I would like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Sunset Park Hemp. And they have some really neat products. One specifically that I'm using that helps joint pain. And when you get to be my age, you know, your joints aren't what they used to be. So I've been using a CBD oil-based cream called Soothe. And I use it religiously now, mostly after boxing workouts and in the evening, put some of this on in my elbows and shoulders. And now I want to say it's almost 10 weeks that I've been using it. And I have noticed a lot of improvement where I want to say that the pain is almost gone. So workouts are a lot more enjoyable and the recovery is also a lot easier. Today's episode is also dedicated to the memory of Peter Michael Plamenko, also known as Buddha. He was someone that was well loved in the community, just an all-around great guy who loved Sunset Park and Sunset Park loved him. This episode is dedicated to his memory, to his family, and to all that miss him. So we've got a great show. Stick around. You do not want to be left out. From A1 Studios in Sunset Park, Brooklyn, New York, this is The Rob Aguilar Show. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Rob. For a very long time, I've been wanting to have you on the show. I really, really always respect a lot of the things that you say on every single topic out there, right? right? I personally feel you're a great dad. I see all the things that you do with your kids. You guys are working out together. You guys are bike riding on the weekend. Those things are super important because people always talk about leaving this planet a better place for, for generations to come. I think we also need to leave good people to take care of this planet. And it starts with us as parents, us as being fathers, to set an example. And what you do with your kids is super amazing, and I admire it. And you know, you're leaving good kids for this planet when you're not here anymore. Correct. You know, because life isn't forever. Which brings me to like these mass shootings. You know, that scares me. You know, I have a five-year-old who just started school. Right? <laughs> Actually, he's, he's six now. He, he just started first grade. And any wacko could walk into a school and shoot up the place. And it seems that every time that happens, the first thing we hear on the news is he was sick. Mm -hmm. He was deranged. He had mental illness. Uh, he was a lone wolf. Right. 
And I'm wondering why isn't something being done about this? One thing that I notice in particular, and people get super uncomfortable, okay? And, and some of my friends get uncomfortable. It's white guys. Right. Predominantly. And then they get upset. They get uncomfortable when we say things like, well, what's wrong with, with the white people? Why are right. you guys doing this? Right. Um, and it gets everyone uncomfortable. Right. I normally tell them, I mean, obviously it's not white women. So it's not just the race of being white. It's particularly white males that are disproportionately um, committing these senseless mass shootings. Uh, mass shootings, you know, it's defined as four more people. So people then, when you have these kind of debates or arguments or dialogue, start getting to the semantics of what you're trying to say because they know that they can't argue or re rebuttal your point. So they get they start to get into semantics. That's really what I kind of get, like what's a mass shooting and what the definition is of mass shootings. For me, it's senseless mass shootings. You know, there's a difference between a drive-by shooting because it's over territory or drugs or something or like, a like that, or gang-related, that we kind of know. And we could kind of, the common citizen could kind of avoid that because you know where not to be, at what time not to be. Right. But like you said, you know, me and you, we have kids in school or we're taking our kids to the movies or we're going to church and somebody just decides to walk in. There's no anticipation. There's nothing you could do to prevent it. It's senseless. So I kind of focus in on senseless mass shootings that it, there's no rhyme or reason. There's not something that they have against that particular person that, that trespassed them personally. It's an ideology. You know, they're 15 minutes of fame that they just want to go do things. Um, those are the ones that are more terrifying to me than just things that are kind of related. I mean, me and you grew up in Brooklyn. We knew certain neighborhoods not to go to. Right. Certain we, blocks, you Blocks know. not to be in, you know, certain people not to trespass because sure. they're right. prone to violence. Sure. And, uh, you know, I'm 50 years old, born and raised and bred in Brooklyn. I never had a hair on my head touched because I yeah. was very aware of these things and kind of did a very good job avoiding places and being in places at the wrong time um, to prevent any bodily harm from happening to me. But these things that are going on now, it's I have no recourse yeah. to, to prevent it from occurring. Yeah, and, and you said something super interesting. You said, there's nothing really you can do. You're sitting in a movie theater enjoying an evening with your family and some nut job walks in and shoots up the place. Right. Which, which, which then, the whole argument to that is, well, bad guys are going to get guns, so... Good guys need guns. Yeah, so good guys need guns. <laughs> right. If there was a good guy in that crowd, right. it would have made a difference. There's no, right. there's there's no, no logic. logic behind no, that. No, there's no logic because I my argument to that is that um, if you know anything about warfare, not that I've ever been in war, but in reading uh, of it, the element of surprise dominates a higher army. So like guerrilla warfare or any kind of stuff like that. When you have the element of surprise, if you're watching a movie, your gun is not holstered, pointing at the door, waiting for somebody to come in. So the element of surprise is going to get most people. Um, and how you react to gunfire, and we're not talking about, in most cases, it's not hand a handgun, it's AR-15 style mm -hmm. rifles that are shooting at high volume. They are semi-automatic. Most of these uh, gun enthusiasts make sure that they get as high capacity magazines as they can. So you're talking about something that's shooting 60 bullets in a minute. Um, you're not talking about one pull of a trigger with 15. Not that that's, you know, a, de a death is a death, but one obviously could cause more deaths at a quicker pace than, than a handgun. So... I get that it would be 
you can do something if you do have a handgun. At least you have a, a fighting chance. Yeah, but if some guy's coming and spraying you, yeah. if, you I don't I mean, know if they you, hit you first and you're dead. Yeah, <laughs> there, there, there there's, goes that. There's absolutely no no right. no chance. That's not a solution. N- not at all. Like for example, the one in Las Vegas. Correct. I mean, the guy was like yeah. high up. Right. Well, what is a handgun going to do? I mean, the, people didn't even know where the bullets were coming from. from. Correct. So I think it's it's the most idiotic <laughs> solution. Yeah, we need more people with guns. guns. Like, and I think you ask any serious person in law enforcement, they right. don't want civilians with more guns. No. I think it just makes it more more it's, difficult for them to and, do their job. Especially in high populated cities where, as you see, parking spots turn into an argument. If I have a gun, then I'm going to want to, I feel that I could argue more. And if I feel that you're threatening my life, I could kill you over a parking spot. And that's ridiculous. I mean, you don't put, you know, the solution to a burning building is not to throw more fire in it. it that doesn't solve the problem. <laughs> that's a perfect that's, analogy. That's normally the argument I get. I say, you wouldn't throw fire on top of fire. It makes absolutely no sense. Um, but people want safety and security and feel, and they think that a gun provides that security against these people who I do think have a mental illness. What that mental illness is, I do not, I think that is part of the a history of this country that hasn't ever been uh, dealt with. So there's definitely an element of race there. Because it's, there's, I mean, it's white guys. It's predominantly white guys who um, feel that they are no longer, um, that the country is slipping them by and they're not, they don't have their place. Is it like society. it's slipping out of their hands? Out of their hands. Um, and they feel now they, the people who marginalize people are now feeling that they're marginalized. So you get all this reverse racism stuff going these arguments that right. boggles my mind which reverse racism like I, i'd like to make it super clear it does not exist. It exist white people are not all of a sudden at the end of racism it's just uh, stupid to even say that yeah anyone who says that that they're they're white and they're experiencing reverse racism right. i can look at them straight in the eye yeah. and first i'm not even going to bother having a conversation with them right. because they're completely ignorant right. like, like there's no statistics there's nothing historical to back such a statement i think again like i said with mass shootings what most people then tend to do is to then have a semantic argument to define what they define racism so most of the times when i do debate people as you see on my facebook (laughs) i I ask for i ask them to define terms because we have to be in agreement of what we're calling racism which is a practice they're laws there's not i dislike you that's discrimination Mm -hmm. we discriminate within groups (laughs) i don't like everybody who looks or comes from the same ethnic group that i come from i don't even like some of my family members (laughs) and they're related to me so it's not a dislike if it was just that you didn't like me we could all live with not being liked it's a practice of laws uh, to uh, deny access um, and and your civil rights. That's what I define racism as. And therefore, when I give that definition, I then challenge them to show me where <laughs> you're being denied access to education, housing, jobs, anything. Historically, if we look at the history of the country, where have you seen that happen, that we've passed laws discriminated against white people? I said, you can't find anything that we've passed, people of color, who have been obviously oppressed in, uh, in this country and marginalized, that we have that power, that political power, to do that to you. And of course, then they'll go into another tangent and start with a bunch of false equivalencies that I'm like, that, that makes no sense. Right. So yeah, people do feel uncomfortable. Um, I don't think people really think, think these thoughts through. Um, their beliefs are beliefs that are being regurgitated from information that they're getting. 
And it's not a, an actual idea that they thought of themselves and thought it through. So I always ask them, I say, well, I don't want to hear, I don't want to see a meme. I don't want to hear what somebody else says. I want to hear what you think. Right. Tell me that you thought this out. Right. And then we can have an a honest dialogue. We might still disagree, but I'd rather have it be your thought that you're just regurgitating or parroting something that you heard. Right. And that tends to be the case. Yeah, you know, something they heard on Fox News. Yeah. <laughs> which is where the majority of people who feel that the solution to everything is more guns, they're getting that from places like Fox News. I don't want to keep coming to that point, mm -hmm. but what can the rest of society do to possibly address this? Is the solution a ban on assault rifles, right? And, and you throw a statement out like that, mm -hmm. and then the people come out right away and say, well, that's not really an assault rifle, and they get into what you said before, the semantics of, <laughs> yeah. of it. How do we stop this? Is it banning these type right. of weapons? I think there definitely needs to be something like that, because if you look at other countries where they have had laws that will ban mm -hmm. weapons, countries where these type of weapons are banned, right. They don't have mass shootings. Right. I remember looking at some statistics about Japan. Right. No type of weapons like these right. are allowed right. to be owned by regular average citizens. Right. And they have zero mass shootings. The worst thing is like, for example, and let's say you have a crazy person, walks into a crowded mall right. and stabs a person or two. That's as serious as it gets. <laughs> Correct. So, cause Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch -ch 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 -chumba. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch -ch 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 -chumba. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. People are like, oh yeah, you know, people are still going to kill people. And yeah, but if you have a knife and you're trying to slash people, right. you have a better chance of surviving it. And when law enforcement arrives, right. it's easy to take this Correct. guy down. Guns is a really difficult issue. It's a multi-layered issue. And obviously there's no simple solution because... Um, I would think that our representatives come from the top schools <laughs> of America, you know, Yale, Harvard, Berkeley, uh, Stanford. Um, so if there was a simple solution, I think they would have figured it out by now. Um, I think it's a multi-layer problem. One, obviously, uh, the difference between America and other countries that the Second Amendment is in our Constitution. So it's going to be a lot harder to get an amendment. And it's not the 10th or the 12th or the 14th. It's the second one. So somebody must have gave it a thought and thought that making it the second seems to be important. Um, what I tend to do when I do debate people is first we have to look at it historically. Um, I'm a real history buff. Um, did some teaching in high school history. So I have a good understanding of history. And once you, uh, most people, most people, at least I interact, and I think most Americans are very are so ignorant about U.S. history and I always challenge them. I'm like, I don't think you pass a U.S. immigration uh, naturalization test. No. Uh, you wouldn't even pass that. Yet you're this patriot that yeah. wants to wave flags and say that you're so patriotic. You wouldn't even know how to sing the national anthem. If I asked you to do it, you probably wouldn't be able to complete right. the words. And I'm definitely 
you would not pass a U.S. naturalization test. So I always come, I start with, you know, understanding how the Second Amendment it was formed, who wrote it, and what era they wrote it for, and what was the purpose of it. And like most amendments or um, things in the United States, uh, race had a part, a huge part to do with why the Second Amendment was formed. I mean, James Madison was a Virginian slave Same owner, at the, at, at, like most presidents or most of the founding fathers were at that time. And slave revolts was something that was very common. And at that time, at that particular time when the Bill of Rights was being written by him, if you read his Federalist Papers, which nobody even knows what the hell the Federalist right. Papers are. What? Never heard yeah, of that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you get an understanding. Fake least news. Mind, yeah, you get a little mindset of what James uh, Madison and the other founding fathers were kind of um, tackling at the time that they were here. So, I mean, first you have to understand we had no standing army um, at the time. Um, our founding fathers... Came, revolted against an oppressive uh, monarchy that had a standing army that could oppress you with armed forces, right? Mm. And they were battling that they did not want to have the same thing that they just finished revolting against. They wanted to make this a, a representative democracy where the government doesn't oppress the people. That was actually their idealism where they thought th they wanted this country to go to. But um, obviously... Slavery, we had people who we had enslaved that weren't too happy about being enslaved, and they tended to revolt. Uh, most people, if most history books, I mean, I taught high school, you, you won't even hear about this. You really have to have some independence reading or maybe take history in college to actually get an idea that um, slaves were revolting a lot at a higher rate than we even think about. You know, most people think like, well, why didn't they do anything? And the actual answer is they did do a lot. <laughs> we just don't learn about it. Right. So it seems like they just took the, the oppression and the slavery and rolled with it. Like, okay, I'm happy to be this. <laughs> right. But people did revolt. So James Madison's uh, original Second Amendment, which the Second Amendment that we read is not the, his first draft. It was multiple drafts before they got there and our father's fathers battled with having the word slave or property put into the constitution. That's why they changed it from uh, pursuit of happiness uh, um, and property. They changed it. They changed that word in the constitution. But uh, getting back to Madison, so obviously slavery revolts happened. You had to have a well-regulated militia to put down slave revolts, mm. um, and that's why he prefaced. The Second Amendment, people just think the right to bear arms and forget the first half of it, right. which is a well-regulated militia, not just your common person right. walking around with a gun. Um, so the well-regulated militia and the reason why we had that in there was that slave owners needed to find a way to keep slave revolts down, especially in certain states where there were more African uh, uh, people of African descent that were slaves than there were white people in these towns. So they had the majority of numbers in there. If they decided to revolt and you had no weapons or well-regulated army, you got to be in trouble. Um, so that's where it originated from. So you see where it originated from for oppression to begin with. Then you kind of understand where it is today. You know? But if you don't understand the antecedents of it, you really don't understand how we, we arrive here today. Um, so learning about the history of it, uh, gives you good perspective to sure. make to form an opinion. Why do you think these revolts were not written in history books? Or why are these revolts not mentioned in well, as like, much? Yeah, well, like most things, in is called his story, and to the victor goes all the spoils. So, I think one of the things they wanted to make sure was that other that people of color or African peoples don't see that don't get inspired by revolts 
because obviously that starts to pass on. That's why Jefferson was so strongly against the Haitian Revolution and blockade them <laughs> and did everything just not to let the African slaves that were here even get a win that a, slave, a population of slaves were able to revolt against a European nation. Mm -hmm. um, so they made sure that they punished them. And they're still, like I said, this is how history is so important. If you understand why Haiti is what Haiti is today, it's not because it's here today. It's what happened to them in the 1800s. Um, the day they decided to revolt. So if you understand the history, you have a better context of which to make an educated opinion, which most people don't make. They're just regurgitating information they, they hear. So I think that one of the things that we don't hear is because we don't want to hear that African people were, had sovereignty over themselves, that they, didn't, that they didn't like being slaves. You kind of would think like if we were living in today, you would think like, well, damn, if somebody was whipping me and doing all this, I'll fight for my life. You don't hear that they fought for their lives. So you figure like, well, they just, they liked it. They enjoyed it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think that you hear this lots of times when you speak to people like, oh, you're lucky we brought you to this country from Africa because you have X, Y, Z. Like it was, it was <laughs> like we saved you from right. yourself kind right. of stuff. So you get to hear this argument. That's why teaching, uh, getting back to parenting, you know, segueing to that. Uh, that's why I make a concentrated effort to teach my kids history and have books so they could read to, he to get the parts that they totally miss, uh, the fillers that they won't get in, in their regular education. Um, they have to read it themselves because if not, they'll just believe half the story of what's sure. being told. How do your kids react to some of the things they read about history? Well, I think the difference with our kids' generation as opposed to us, like, we actually felt racism. You know, we, we saw it. <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> like it was something you read in a book and like, ah, no, like, what 9-11 is to my kids, they have no idea. It's what racism is to my kids now. Like, they haven't felt the impact of it at this age. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a 18-year-old daughter, a 16-year-old son, and a 12, going to be 13-year-old son, and they haven't had a visceral connection with what racism is um, we had by the time i was their age mm -hmm. i seen it a hundred times mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um you know i told them i grew up you know i give them a history i said listen well i grew up in sunset park which i'm still here we couldn't cross the underpass on 65th street and go into bay ridge you would literally be chased back to sunset park and racial mm -hmm. epithets would be thrown at you left and right so we knew that there were certain places we could not be if again going back to our safety if you cared about your safety much you knew you couldn't be in Bay Ridge after a certain time. You knew not to cross over there. You knew not to be in certain neighborhoods. Now, I had the distinction of having because um, I get along with everybody that I and because of athletics, I think that played a huge part because athletics is the only the only uh, arena in America where um, if you're good at something, nobody cares what color you are. If you could make me win, <laughs> everybody accepts you. So since I was very good at sports all my life, I was able to um, be in multi-ethnic groups and everybody loved me because I could make them win. If you wanted to win, you got me on your team and you had a very good chance of winning. So I became like a racial, a ethnic. I didn't really have an yeah. ethnic identity at the times that we were playing, I was just an athlete. Yeah, it didn't matter, right? It didn't matter. Yeah. It's sort of like it's interesting. people care, love Michael Jordan and mm -hmm. Magic Johnson, and they, they're probably racist anyway, but they, they don't consider right. Magic Johnson or Michael Jordan 
They're not looking at him as a black guy. Yeah, when they he's don't on look at him exactly. Yeah. It's sort of like having money. You know, you have yeah. a bazillion money, you're rich. Nobody cares what ethnic right. group you are. So um, I talked to my kids about what racism was. I went to Dyker Heights Junior High School. Um, I was probably the third. Uh, my sisters went before in the 70s where busing just started. So she had to deal with, you know, being chased home, <laughs> people outside protesting. I got there in 1980, so I was at the end, tail end. There was about probably four years before me. We had our occasional people outside yeah, <laughs> chasing I, us home, but... I, I remember kids from our neighborhood, from my block. Yeah. Back then, they called it junior high. Right, junior high school, huh? And their zone school was like Diker Heights. Yep. Uh, they were Kinley. <laughs> yeah. No, not so much. I, not so much, yeah, right? For right, some reason. Nah, yeah. But kids who had to go to Diker were like, like scared to yeah. go to Diker. Yep. It was scary. I mean, um, it was in the Dyker Heights section, which is not too far from Bensonhurst, which tend to be our Italian uh, brethren who have a particular uh, (laughs) view on keeping their neighborhood what it is, and they didn't want uh, anybody infringing on the neighborhood. So, yeah, we... I had those type of experiences. I had uh, contact with police officers who, you know, racially profiled me as a teenager. Um, So... I had those experiences. My kids have zero experience. So I have to teach them about the experiences they used to be and tell them, which is true, is, is not as bad as it used to be. Not that that means it's good right. <laughs> or, or we arrived and we're right. in a post-racial society that nobody's going to judge you based on your how you appear. Yeah. But it has come a very long way, just like Sunset Park in general has come a long way. I mean, on top of not being able to cross 65th Street, we also lived within four gangs uh, territory. Sure. So we had the dirty ones from 60th Street to like 51st Street, uh, and the assassinators mm-hmm. uh, from that way down, La Familia up on 6th Avenue, uh, the something left. Turban Saints. Yeah, so we had all that. And you know, if you lived in the 50s, you were basically a dirty one. So if you crossed into the, f- you couldn't pass the library. Right. Because uh, now you're an assassinist territory and if they ask you where you live and you said 50 something street they kind of thought that you were affiliated with right. them and they'll chase you back here so my kids are just astonished yeah. <laughs> to hear any of this stuff they're like what yeah i'm like uh, yeah this is basically we lived within like four or five square blocks you know yeah. sunset, that was your world that was my world sunset pool during the summer was a demilitarized yeah. zone when you yeah. could go to the pool. It was neutral. It, it was neutral. It didn't matter where you were. Right. If it wasn't during the pool years, then you couldn't be in Sunset Park Correct. either without thinking about looking at your surroundings sure. uh, all the time. So this is the world that I told them that I came from. Um, I still think, uh, I still teach them that racism is real and they will be treated based on the color of their skin and their appearance, um, guilty until proven innocent and not innocent before proven guilty, and how to uh, comport yourself, obviously, in, in any kind of uh, contact with police officers. You know, obviously, to be compliant, follow regulations, keep your hands, don't be fidgety, don't move. Right. These kind of uh, things that, to me, it's horrible that I have to have these conversations with kids who Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With my sons, but it's the reality that I have to prepare my kids for. I can't, you know, stick my head in the, in the sand and hope that these things are not real. And they are real. So they're going to be judged on a different, um, in a, with a different um, eyes than they would if they were uh, one of their white friends from another place where they're going to get the benefit of the doubt. Like, we don't tend to get the benefit of the doubt. I mean, it's case by case. I'm uh, Obviously, I'm not saying all police, but in generally, you are going to be um, viewed differently. Uh, you have to earn, you have to prove that you're innocent or prove that you're not doing anything malicious. You're not giving them that benefit of the doubt when they first see you. True. Um, Part of that obviously has to do with that um, um, the people who they look like are also committing crimes and doing things as well. So obviously it's just the way um, our brain is has evolved to function. You are going to compartmentalize um, things that look the same and you're going to put them like we do in a folder. Right? We'll, put, we'll create a folder and stick common things mm-hmm. inside to be able to retrieve information and be able to make quick judgments on people. And that's just a human quality. I don't think that's particular to white people or any ethnic or racial group. I just That's just universal as a human condition that we have. It so happens to be that we tend to be policed predominantly by white officers um, that grow up in very segregated neighborhoods and their contact with people of color is normally in a negative way, so they're just going to view everything to be negative. Um, so I really don't get involved. I, I try to make sense. Um, I read a lot about human um, evolution and, and uh, evolutionary psychology to understand that this is not a, just something that white European people have and nobody else has mm-hmm. these same qualities because we all have the same qualities and you can see it throughout history. It's not like people from the highlands didn't like people from the lowlands that looked exactly the same, but they were just in the valley and I was in the mountain and I'm going to make some kind of discrimination uh, why I don't like you for whatever particular reason. I try to teach my kids, you know, um, how to comport themselves and how to behave themselves. Um, unfairness is something that kids at that age will understand. Like, why do I have to be judged that way and nobody else? And why does my friend not get... And those are hard conversations sure. to have with your children, but you need to have them. And, you know, my saying is, you know, a fair is where you go judge pigs. Right. It's not what life is. Life is going to be a whole lot of unfairness. You know, some people get away with things that other people don't, just don't get away with. That's just the nature of the beast. Um, but um, your safety is what we're trying. We're trying to get you home. You know what I'm saying? So um, come to me. Uh, let me deal with it. Um, I'm glad that I'm I think one of the good things to be connected to uh, having civic duty is that, you know, your community board, you know, your your police captain. So you have some recourse um, to come and deal with 
a stop or a wrong stop or a racial stop. If you're connected to your community, you have at least a voice sure. um, to go to people. So I think that's really important um, for us to, to have. Or, you know, advice I'll give both parents is like, get involved with your community boards. Um, your My wife was just at the precinct um, uh, meeting, I think it was Monday or Tuesday. Um, she went to that meeting to sit there and voice our opinions because it's important for police officers as well to see that the people from these communities are actually caring about their communities and don't want crime and don't want these kind of stuff. Like, you know, I heard some statistic. I think it's like ten less than ten percent of the of the population commits ninety percent of the crimes. So it's a very small sliver of the people that are committing the crimes. The the other ninety percent don't want the crime in their neighborhoods, and it's the same. 10% are committing 90% of the crimes. So it's just the same person that's doing multiple crimes. It's not like the 90% of the population is right. committing crimes. But in the media, that's the way it's projected. Sure. It's like 90% of the population is committing right. crimes. I mean, there's 10 people that don't want the crimes. <laughs> right. And that's not the reality of right. what goes on um, in the real world. But, you know, perception becomes reality. Sure. And that's what we're fighting against with mass shootings, with all these things. The perception of it is how you end up forming your opinions about things without actually really knowing what's going on. That's one of the conversations that I want to say I'm almost dreading to have one day with, with my kids. I have, right. I have two sons. Right. They're small. They're six and three. So I got a long way to go, I yes. think, for that. But it's just as important, I think, for us. As important as that sex talk you're going to have mm-hmm. to give your kids one day. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, I think it's almost going to be as equally as uncomfortable because I see how my little kids view the world Mm -hmm. i don't think they see any of that yet at all they don't know any differences they don't not yet it's almost heartbreaking i think yes that's when you break that innocence yeah so i dread that i'm the one that that is going to have to do that you know or with my wife of course it's 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 like a loss of innocence uh, i compare it to uh telling them that santa claus isn't real it's like that break of innocence uh, they're no longer in a fantasy world um i think it's even more profound because it's hard not to feel that there's something wrong with you, that there's an inferiority about you. Like, why do I have to get treated differently? I didn't do anything wrong. Um, you know, the law is supposed to be based on breaking the law, and the law should apply universally to everybody. Uh, we, we know that it doesn't. No. <laughs> and that's where, that is where it's difficult, is that... Um, it's hard for a child who doesn't have the experience yet to understand why me. That's got to be the question. Like, why me? Like, why, what did I do character-wise? Or what have I done to deserve this? Just by default being born into a certain ethnic group, this is a baggage that I'm inheriting that I didn't ask for. Um, and that level of unfairness, I think human beings and, you know, you as a young father, you probably hear a lot more of it. You know, that's not fair. That is something that isn't taught to kids as a universal that human beings just innately understand when they're being treated unfairly. Um, and that's what made that conversation really difficult when I had to have it is like I had to really make sure that I was always going beyond telling my kids how valuable they are, how important they are. So their self-esteem was at a point in which the time to have this conversation, um, their self-esteem was able to have a defense against hearing that I'm going to be treated just because of the color of my skin. So watching a lot of movies that talk about, that show racial discrimination um, is a way um, I approached it um, to start the conversation with my kids because when they saw it, 
they were like, they, they viscerally felt there was something wrong, like, because it's unfair. And you just sense it, unfairness. And that kind of is how the conversation started, that we had the discussion about how they will be judged. Because like I said, up to this point, they, don't, they didn't have the experiences that, I, that we had growing mm-hmm. up. Like we knew like, don't cross here, don't go there. Um, racial epithets were thrown at me young enough, or I heard other people uh, being called all types of names. So it was something that I already knew. There was something about this world that I live in that I had to find my place in this world and where I kind of fit um, and try to avoid, you know, doing anything that might draw attention to, mm-hmm. to me. Um, I, and I think it, it, it had the effect um, on me in a positive way, sort of. Um, uh, I became very exceptional um, in my group, uh, in my peers. So... Uh, I read a lot. I was very intelligent. I was a very good athlete. Um, and this exceptionalism was a layer to protect me from fitting into a category of somebody that is will be treated unfairly by the police officers mm-hmm. or by crime, which it shouldn't be because I have loser <laughs> friends that are white that walk around not being exceptional. They can do whatever the fuck they want and right. they don't have to worry about this. Again, I mean, that's just... The cards were dealt with, and That's we had it. to do the best that we can to navigate through that. Um, I think you know the um, point that I try to give parents is to make sure that you keep their self-esteem, that they know, although the system is unfair, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It's just, unfo- hopefully, they could fix the system. And that's really what I try to get my kids to do is like... Um, making them a better version of me is my obligation to my kids. You know, my father, I'm a better version than my father is, his generation. That's what he did for me. Uh, my kids are going to be a better, a better version of myself because I learned from my dad and I took his experience with my experience and I'm able to pass out to them. And obviously economics has a lot to do with it. I was able to give my kids a lot more than I was able to have or even uh, fathom uh, to have as a child. So uh, my job is to try to make my kids a better version than I am. And um, and I think society has changed a lot. Like I said, all these things that I had to navigate through, they're not going to have to navigate through at the same level that we had to. We have more contact with uh, racial issues um, than my kids do, but I have to make them aware that this is something that they're going to contact. And this has this doesn't mean, this doesn't reflect who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just the system that we're in, and hopefully, at some point, in what, some generation, we're not going to have these kind of uh, issues. But hopefully, yeah, hopefully, yeah. And that's super important. Uh, what you said about self-esteem, yeah. and confidence, and even a, a level of pride, right? Yes. Because when you have those things, then you realize, you know what? I'm not the problem. You're the you know, problem. Th- these guys are the yeah. problem. You know, right. these, these are the guys that are fucked up in their head, yeah. who have been ruined. I, I would say right. by their parents and their grandparents mm-hmm. and. And it's just almost like a never-ending cycle. I completely share that same view where, like, for example, with my kids early on, even at, at their young age, we take them to, like, museums. And, for example, um, there was an exhibit recently. And they change them every so often at the uh, Native American Museum. Yeah, museum yeah. They had a really nice Taino exhibit mm-hmm. um, right before the summer. And then before that, they had an Aztec exhibit. Okay. And then the Incas and all that. So right. they, they keep doing it every so often. Right. You know, we take them to these things so that they, they begin to see it. Because this is what your ancestors right. did. And this is how they lived. And, and look at these great pyramids and things mm-hmm. that they built. So that they have a, 
they begin to have a sense of pride and right. identity. Right. So that when they do someday have to encounter things like this, they're like, you know, it's this guy's got the problem. Right. You know, right. I'm not the problem. Yeah. I'm big on, you know, James Baldwin was probably one of my famous, favorite uh, American authors. They made a movie into it. It's like, I'm not your nigger. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, that's not who I am. You, you, the question he poses, like, if there is a such thing as a nigger, why was it created? And who was it created for? It wasn't created for me. It was something with, within you that you needed to have something or someone to subjugate somebody to. Like you said, museums reading i can't stress unfortunately people don't read but the importance of reading um and being able to see different opinions and perspectives from different authors their view of the world gives you a broader view of the world than just your parochial you know i live on 56 street or this is my neighborhood that's all i know and most of the arguments we tend to get into with people you see they never traveled no they didn't have left their two block square radius they hang out with people of very similar mindset so they don't part of it is i i don't think it's even racism like they actually hate anybody because obviously they're friends with me so it's, they don't have anything against me but they don't see me like if i'm like it's this dynamic that you like that makes absolutely no sense to us right. you know because we're on the on the receiving end of it but a lot of it is just that it's just like they are very ignorant people um and there's no nice way of saying it and unfortunately ignorant means stupid instead of just meaning that you just don't know right. there's nothing wrong with, I, i'm ignorant about a lot of things as my uh but i think the difference is that we're willing to engage in dialogue to uh, to understand um and to learn and i think most people um Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, any Anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Their frailty of being wrong or wanting to learn prevents them, their mind, to open up to different experiences from different people. And I always argue. I was like, well, do you think, like, we're uh, mind-melding and forming these stories and we're all making this up, the same similar story. Like we're right. all gathering, all right, here's a script, say the same thing. I say, if you speak to people of color, you're going to hear a lot of the same kind of story. And we, are we all lying? Either we're all lying or we're just all sitting down fabricating a truth right. and we're trying to say it to you. I say, which one do you think it could be? So, um, it's a conspiracy it's theory. A conspiracy, <laughs> That's you know, what they uh, being white, um, and that's I try not to use that term, but you know, being white in America uh, allows you to be an American. You know, like 
your default American, you know, when you say American, you say, you think white. It's a right. synonym. Yeah. When they think American, they don't think me and no. you. <laughs> we no. don't. It's now like we have to prove our sure. uh, our patriotism, right. our Americanness. Right. To How people. American we are. We are yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, and then if you diverge a little bit off of what they think you should be in, uh, then all of a sudden you're like an expatriate or a traitor or anything else like that. So, um, a lot of it is that white people don't need to don't need to know our experience to function through life. Mm-hmm. They could just go on, you know, at completely work, oblivious to it. Uh, completely oblivious. There's no reason for them no. to know. Since we have to navigate in both worlds, especially if we're professionals, we have to be able to navigate in two worlds, right? Um, we speak, we both speak another language, so we have we have two languages that we have to navigate through, and we have two different worlds that we have to sure. navigate through. Like we're from Sunset Park, so it's a little rough here, so you have to be able to handle yourself and use the colloquialism of the language you know, in this setting. But if we're going to go to a meeting, we can't be speaking that right. <laughs> that language. There, we have to be able to flip the switch and sure. turn it to uh, be more professional and speak sure. the. the uh, that language that we had to speak in, in a professional setting. So we're constantly have to be chameleons to be able to get ahead in life. Uh, white people could just... Just be white people. <laughs> they don't have to think about like, well, let me see how right. I have to change when I'm right. here. Um, they don't have to deal with that. So because they don't have to deal with it, they don't understand any perspective that is not their own. Mm-hmm. If, that's not, if it's not their reality, it doesn't exist. And therefore, you're fabricating it or you're making it up. That's why I like video now, although the video recording of police officers, people who thought that we were making this up. I mean, this is not a new phenomenon no. of planting guns and no. shooting people drugs, in their bags and drugs. drugs. This is not, I was like, it's not news to me. It's not news to you. No. It's not news to anybody of a person of color. I, I very rarely I ran into a person of color that is shocked that any of this stuff happens. Right. They're shocked when it doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> They're the inverse. Right. But white people are shocked that this is something they, they can't believe that police services act like this. I was like, right. yeah, because they don't act like that with you. They tend to act like that disproportionately with people of color so if i'm telling you this happens it's because it it actually happens and it's not as i always say it's not a one-time occurrence if it was a one-time occurrence i'm not going to be upset about it i have to be you know a dick to be upset if you happen to me once you know anybody could oh there was a call you fit a description that could happen to me once when it's happened to me 12 15 times it happened to my friends it's like how do we all fit the same description i have no idea so that's when it becomes a nuisance because now I know there's intent behind it. It's not like you just stopped me because there is. I mean, obviously something can happen. I can't fit a, descri- a general description and I don't have a problem if it's a one-time occurrence. But, you know, I always tell my friends, I was, Listen, I was sitting in my car, in my vehicle. <laughs> they came off. I wasn't doing it, but I had a Mercedes Benz. I was a person of color. Right. I was in Sunset Park. They looked at it. They kind of probably didn't think that I belong in that vehicle. For some reason, it didn't make sense to them. Right. It's not their reality. Um, right. All their reality would be that I had to be a drug dealer that right. owned the car. I couldn't be just a, a person that worked right. for a living, right. that went to college and got a degree and was able to make enough money to afford that car. That's just the reality of it is. So part of what I try to do and I, why I think social media is important is um, as much as I can to try to give a different perspective and a different voice um, and try to hear other people and then try to break to break apart their argument and have them see the errors of their logic. Yeah. So maybe they could come to an understanding like, oh, okay, wait, maybe you do have a point. At least I hope that they may get something. 
most of them won't, I think, because there's some people that you could smack them in the face (laughs) with a book of facts and and they're just not going to get it because they're just, they're closed minded. Like you said, they've always lived, never leaving that two block radius, right? right? They've never seen the world. Mm -hmm. They don't know anything about the world, right? They have a problem if someone's speaking a different language in front of them. Correct. But it it comes back to ignorance. There was a time where, and and I hear people uh, express themselves this way. Mm. You know, you got to speak English. Right. This is America. You got to speak English. (laughs) And there was a point where there was people who were were advocates of only speaking English at schools, Mm -hmm. right? Which I think is the most ignorant thing anyone can ever uh, come up with. What's even more embarrassing is that there were educators who were advocating for this. Like, how could you be someone who is of the educational community and say, you know, you're for English only. If you travel anywhere, anywhere in the world, like Europe, they're so condensed. Right. There's people in Europe that speak three, four different right. languages. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's just ignorance. One of the things, especially, it mostly happens with people speaking Spanish. Yep. You don't hear that they'll tell the Chinese to speak English or other, but it tends to be, at least most in the social media, it tends to be somebody yeah. speaking Spanish because obviously now the whole Mexican thing is right. a big, a big, uh, uh, racial divide or right. political uh, uh, lightning stick that they have. So I think one of the things I told them, I said, well, the difference um, in most Latino communities is that we tend to go back to our countries because they're within close proximity. If I had to pay $2,300 to get to my country, most likely I would lose a language within one or two generations because sure. you're not going back. But that we are able to get on a plane for three hours and be back in your hometown where everybody's speaking the right. same language is what get, allows us to been in this country for four or five generations and maintain the language. Language tends to be the first thing that tends to be uh, to get lost um, if you're not speaking it every day or hearing it every day. And because Latinos from the Caribbean, from South America, from uh, Central America, and even from North America, where Mexicans are from, they're able to travel back. Um, their parents speak, you know, normally you speak it, your parents probably speak very little English and they're speaking it. So you're gonna, your kids have to communicate with their grandparents, right. so they have to kind of learn the language. We tend to have national pride. We want to teach you about where we came from. I think it grounds our kids as well. I think it's very important to take them back to um, where your parent, you know, where, where their grandparents came back from. Um, I think it grounds our kids, especially um, kids uh, of our kids' generation that have a lot of entitlements. <laughs> they have no wants in the world, um, so they have no um, idea of struggle. Uh, mm-hmm. They think everything, this is how it always was. Right. <laughs> they think you live like, yeah, I had everything in the world. Right. 20 pairs of sneakers. I, I was like, uh, no, we got two pairs and that's about all we had. First day if of school, we were lucky. yeah, and Easter, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> After that, you didn't get clothes. So. Yeah. I remember my father used to buy me sneakers right, right before school. <laughs> cool, yeah. and, he, and in Spanish, he'd be like, pero los cuidas. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you, 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 you know, because that's all you're getting that's for the school year. That's all you're getting. Yeah. So um, it was important for me uh, these last two years. Um, we traveled to Dominican Republic for my daughter's sweet 16. And then uh, I just came from Puerto Rico this summer um, just to teach them your one generation <laughs> or two generations on the Puerto Ricans are removed from being here. This is where you came from. This is the struggle that your grandfather and your grandparents went through to get me here. 
thank the Lord because <laughs> I went there and I'm like, holy Christ. Yeah. So I appreciate it, but I had struggle here in 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 America um, that my kids have. You know, like I always tell people that my kids pour out half a cup of orange juice in the sink. Like if you would have done that, no. they would have killed you. Yeah. <laughs> like they have no idea was to be hungry was they have no idea. So. Um, you have to artificially put your kids in that experience because they, you can't blame them for something they, they never interact with. Yeah, sure. So bringing them back to a native country gives them that grounding, like, oh, this is real. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> we're not far removed from here. I mean, so you have now you have an experience. You could feel what other people are going through, the struggles that other people are going through, and through catharsisism or osmosis, you could get some empathy for that and appreciate. That's one of the big things, you know, I made sure I keep instilling my kids, like having empathy for your sure. fellow human being Absolutely. to see where people come from. So you can have an understanding of why they do what they do and think the way they think. Um, so if you're more, if we're teaching, and I think that's where we fail, we teach our kids to be more compassionate and empathetic to people, regardless of race, religion, culture, you will see a better society having, you know, this tolerance that we have now, you know, for different people. I think it's very important for people to be tolerant and just have an understanding of, of other people, where they came from. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had, you know, you're going to have to go, you have to do the same thing. We have to artificially put our kids in mm -hmm. situations because, you know, they don't, they have no right. experience otherwise right. to put them in. So that's a value in raising kids to be better members of society is as parents, we have to be cognizant of the fact that our kids have way more than we ever had, more than they even need. And they have to understand struggle and they have to understand that what they have is probably 10% of the human population has as much as they have. The mm -hmm. other 90% of people are hand to mouth trying to make it mm -hmm. day to day. Um, so I, I make sure that I put my kids in those kind of positions so they, they could see it and and when you see their face, when they see poverty, a real poverty, not American poverty, mm -hmm. but real poverty, right. they didn't know what to do. They were mm -hmm. like, they felt so bad. Not that I'm trying to make my kids bad, but they had to feel like, man, I've been pouring that half a cup of orange juice. So now right. I don't have to tell them not to do it. Now they know why. They internalize why that's wrong because they see other people, they would die for that half a cup of orange juice. Um, so those are the kind of lessons that I try to teach my kids. Uh, very meticulous and very um, thoughtful of what type of kids I want to produce and how to get them there. Yeah. Um, is uh, I'm systematic about it. Uh, I think about it. It's something that uh, I give a lot of my time to. To like, how do I make them better versions of me, and how do I make them better members of society? Um, and I want them to be as well-rounded as they can. And like you said, you know, getting outside of your two-block <laughs> radius is important. Is you can't. I can't tell you how important it is. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the things you touched on are super important, mm -hmm. and I kind of want to go back to them mm -hmm. because showing them where they come from, where their grandparents came from, right. is is beyond valuable. Mm -hmm. Like I, I can't explain how important that is. Because they appreciate what they have now, and, right. and they appreciate what you're doing for them right. to give them the life that. And I think back, right? Where I think about what the future is like going to be like for my kids. Right. Like the worst thing is like the Wi-Fi was down for like a day, <laughs> you know, or stuff like that. Right. <laughs> you, you know, they cannot have an exact vision of what uh, we went through. No. Right. Which brings me to an interesting statistic mm. that pops up, and maybe that's where a lot of like. For example, the rhetoric that the president, 
you know, speaks mm-hmm. about or, or the, the rhetoric that he spews. Right. And then the people that identify with that rhetoric, right. that immigrants, when they come to this country, they come with little money. They immediately are classified into poverty, or, right? Or, right they're, so they're poor. Yeah. And then when they gather statistics, their income and, and what gets yeah. classified into the percentage of poverty mm-hmm. or the percentage of people who right. are poor. But within a generation or two, they're completely out of poverty, where we have people who are white who have been here for five six seven generations and they can't exit that mm-hmm. poverty threshold correct when they hear someone like trump talking about the immigrants and and they're taking your jobs and they got it easy and they get things when they for get free. here uh-huh. yeah <laughs> and it's funny because the other time uh, i saw where was it Somebody did, I think it was someone from The Daily Show was right. doing like, they make it funny, right, right? right? But this guy was going out and saying, yeah, you know, so he was doing the skin. Yeah. He was saying, he was talking to these like racist people right. at a Trump rally. And he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, we got to get these immigrants out of the country. And like, tell me why you want them out. Why do we need to close the borders? Right. And, and this guy, right. no exaggeration. Right. And it's almost word for word. He's like, because when they come here, they get free stuff. And he's like, really? What kind of free stuff? <laughs> and, and he goes, well, they get, they get computers. They get, and I'm like, really? This fucking, and this guy really believed yes he goes they get a house right, right. Uh, they get a computer and i'm right. like these people really <laughs> fucking believe that exactly well they don't have any other experience other than what they hear to make that real i mean we get the whole thing with you know um i work in the health insurance field um in the health field and people actually think that undocumented people get health insurance i was like uh no they don't no. or public assistance i'm like uh no they no. don't <laughs> say you need a social security you need certain things to get that you're not going to get it. now you get emergency medicaid see when you have the discussions as they don't have the discussion when you have the discussion which i normally do because i have a little more in-depth uh, understanding of it um, uh, then the, the argument just starts to fall apart now the problem is there's a psychological condition called cognitive dissonance is when you when your beliefs start to get destroyed you have a dissonance now you start having uncomfortability and you will you rather hold to your beliefs because they make you feel comfortable than to admit that you're wrong and they will go to the grave and with it like i'm not going to change my mind Pigs fly, and right. I don't care what you right. say. You can't because they need to believe in a flying pig. Yeah. So um, that tends to be the case when we have these type of arguments. Because obviously, if what is the other solution? I always ask them. Okay, you're complaining about this. So tell me how we fix it. What, what's your idea? People are here. You don't want it. Your tax dollars. Yada yada yada. So somebody gets, if a child gets sick or an adult gets sick, what are we to do with them? Leave them in the street sick? I right. mean, there's some level of humanity you have to have. If they go to the emergency room, it's going to cost you more tax dollars to treat them in the emergency room than if you give them preventive care. Sure. It is cheaper. So if, if, It's common sense. Yeah. So I said, so if your argument, I always try to hold them to the fire because I'm like, okay, so your argument is money and taxes. That's your argument, right? Yes. We agree. Okay. Because they're leeching off my taxes. Yeah, so then I break down how much money, how much of your taxes you think is going to this. How much is it? You don't even know what it is. It could be three cents for, you know, you're making this. You don't want to do it. Although corporate welfare, farm subsidies, you know, the uh, the, uh, military, you don't care about that. So once you get them to that, then you show them. All right. So if you're paying 30 cents um, to give somebody preventive care, if they went to the ER, it's costing you $1.30. Which one makes more sense? Mm Mm-hmm. 
uh, I got with a dollar thirty. <laughs> so it's like you see how you never thought things out. So if you think things out, there's a reason why people are doing what they're doing. Right. So this is the reason why it makes more economic sense to give them preventive care than have them utilizing the emergency room, dude. It's just that's right. how it is. Now there is no either or. Like, well, let's not do anything. I said, so people have to come up with solutions or best solutions. No 100% infallible way of doing things. But this is the best solution. So that's with healthcare and that's with other things. We're not going to put people in the streets. We're not going to have kids starving. I said, you know, so same arguments I get with the drug testing, people who are on public assistance or getting whatever. Like, why am I? Like, so the parent has to get the money to support the kids. But you don't want to, if the parents are on drugs, isn't that, isn't that like a mental health issue? Shouldn't we be helping the parent out? Or we're going to criminalize it and now decide not to give the parents aid, which goes to feed their kids. So who's going to do it? So the state is going to run it. So now we have to create another agency to supervise the money that's going to the children. How much is that going to cost you? So you just double and triple your thing because you didn't think your solution through to the end. You're just reacting because it sounds good. And, and they're it, taking my job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you get all this kind of nonsense that when, when you really challenge them and you, I try when there's somebody that's actually trying to have discourse with me. It was just a, a retard. I kind of just <laughs> bombast them and slap them up <laughs> with facts. But if it's somebody that's actually having a conversation right. that's interested in talking, then I try to take the emotion out of the argument sure. and then just let's look at and, and sometimes I give an analogy um, something that they don't have an emotional response to and ask them and ask them well how will you treat this situation and when they tell me this is how they'll treat it then I say okay let's bring it back to this thing you see how it makes sense and there is a complete like you said uh, <laughs> I call it the Ralph Cramden humming a humming a humming yeah. humming <laughs> and I'm like yeah, but the Mexicans, they keep coming. <laughs> exactly. So you get that kind of stuff. I mean, listen, uh, I'm not an open borders. There's, no. We're living in a different world. Yeah. They take extreme positions. Sure. Um, that's what it is. Like if you're, if you're against, you know, having families separated in cages, uh, you want open borders. Like, no, no, I'm not saying that. Either. Yeah, one is not absolute, absolute of the other. Exactly. And I tell people, no one with two brain cells to rub together <laughs> is advocating for op- open no, borders. That is... That is the most ridiculous thing mm-hmm. anyone could ever mm-hmm. say. But a wall is not going to stop no. it. That money for a wall could be used for technology, mm-hmm. for better screening, right. uh, things like that. Right. Now, the other thing is, like, for example, a lot of the people from Central America who are coming through, who are seeking asylum, technically seeking asylum is a legal way right. to enter the country. Correct. And then they have to be processed. Right. So if you have an influx of people coming in seeking asylum... Right then you address that directly. Like, for example, I don't know, maybe a smart thing would be to hire a bunch of judges to process people at the border on the spot. If you fit the criteria for asylum, you get to stay. If not, then you have to go back. And and those are the rules. But trying to put the military there to protect, to stop people from seeking asylum, they're not coming illegally. Seeking asylum is legal and it's protected under international laws. It's the way it is. But we got a dummy that... (laughs) talks a lot of stupid things and the dummies that believe it well you know in this country um race and class have always been married and it's hard 
even for that's why I kind of try to avoid as much as I can uh, throwing the word or the label racist out because it, it, it's now kind of lost its meaning to me. Um, it's been diluted because yeah. it's almost so common yeah. now. Like, right. yeah, I'm I, a racist, big deal. I think the people who have bigoted views or whatever uh, think for them a racist is a guy burning a cross on the lawn. Right. The, so they think that like I'm not that I guy. I don't do that. I, exactly. And then the classic Therefore, excuse: I got black friends. Yeah. <laughs> so then they're they don't believe it because they think that that's it, that racist is only hatred, and although hatred is a component of racism, it's not the all be all. It's a lot of social and political levers that you're up against. Yeah, it's a system that uh, of laws <laughs> that you're up against. Hatred is a part of it, uh, but. It, like I said before, if you don't like me, that, that doesn't bother me at all. Uh, but that you don't let me live what I want to live, that, or you violate my civil rights, or I'm less of a citizen than you are, then that's when we have right. a problem. Right. Outside of that, I don't, you don't have to like me. I'm not looking to be liked. Um, so um, borders, is a, again, these are very complicated um, issues. What do we do? How do we do it? I mean, I, I go back to the history again. Um, you know, when we look at Central America, U.S. policy, foreign policies in these countries have exacerbated the problems that they have in these countries. And now we want to blame the people who are trying to flee these problems that we kind of created that they can't come here. So what do we do? Um, I, I, like I said, race and class is a class because obviously we're now in a global economy. So we're not competing <laughs> just against ourselves. This is part of why these white males are having all these um, issues because... Now they're not now they're not on the on the top of the hierarchy anymore. They're competing against other people that are out competing them. And now they feel like, wow, my high school diploma doesn't guarantee me a middle class life anymore. No. When I, I was able to do that, even my cronyism and my nepotism doesn't guarantee me favor anymore at the mill, at the whatever the the place they were, because mm-hmm. they're not here anymore. They're gone at the coal mine. <laughs> at the coal mine. <laughs> so all that is gone. So now what do I do? I'm competing against a global economy uh, and other people who are just willing to work harder than me. And their color, uh, race, doesn't have the impact they had on class as it used to. Um, so that's part of uh, where you get this, um, you're getting a lot of pushback. And this is how Trump obviously got elected is because you have a, a large portion of America, middle America in these states, who all these manufacturing jobs are gone and technology is just advancing at such a high rate that they can't turn themselves over. So one of the issues, obviously, is that um, bringing in more unskilled labor in a global economy that's getting technologically advanced is what do you do with these unskilled laborers? Like, there's no, there's no jobs for unskilled American laborers. And now you're bringing these unskilled other laborers. Like, how much unskilled laborers could this economy sustain? Because obviously, uh, as a capitalist system, we have to have a welfare state to because there's going to be people who just can't mm-hmm. get by. Well, how many, how much of this could we possibly sustain and be able to sustain the economy? The way that our economy functions now is unsustainable to have open borders and just let everybody that wants to come in, come in. It's just unsustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, even on the municipal level of, in city municipalities, just think about New York City. Where where are we going to put you? There's right. no housing. Is, is no, such, we have a housing crisis. <laughs> crisis. There's so many people here. Exactly. So it, it tends to be that unskilled laborers are going to move into 
neighborhoods of people who look like them. You know, there's de facto ghettos that it's a Spanish, like Sunset Park, it's a Spanish neighborhood. So you get more Spanish people moving mm-hmm. here because the stores are Spanish. They don't need to speak English because everybody, everything's Spanish here. So you get a segregated de facto neighborhood because people just gather with people who look like them, right? Um, so where are they going to move here? What are we going to do? Um, the children are sick if if they have disabilities. It, this in America, obviously we have, especially in New York City, we have we give so much. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is why a lot of people come to New York City because mm-hmm. the benefits you get here aren't the same benefits you're going to get in other s- states like Kansas. Yeah, so people come here to get the safety nets that New York City uh, provides, and it's going to create an issue because now our taxes are going to have to go up. Police are going to start giving more tickets. You know, mm-hmm. Everything goes up to be able to sustain a whole influx. So it's a very... I don't have the answer to it. It's a very difficult question. I could understand both sides of the arguments. Um, if they're talking about it economically and where what we're going to do with them, we really don't have an answer on what how we could take the influx. Um, for the left's that argues, you know, well, we've always been a country of immigrants. It's like, oh, that is true, but that's when unskilled labor labor was important, right? The Industrial Revolution was created. We needed factories. We needed new immigrants to come in and work. Yeah, fill those factories. That's no longer the case. No. So we cannot have an influx. Now, we don't discriminate against Southeast Asians and Asians that are coming with, you know, uh, the genius visas, the engineering degrees yeah. and all that there, to Silicon Valley, we'll take we take all of them in. Um, the problem is we cannot take unskilled laborers, and in most Latin American countries, it's unskilled laborers who are fleeing because they're getting terrorized that are fleeing, and we we're, we this is not an agricultural uh, society anymore mm-hmm. that could take it, and we've lost manufacturing jobs. That were able, if you weren't doing agriculture, at least you could do manufacturing jobs. Those are all gone. And eventually... The and next, they're never coming back. Yeah. And, and probably in the next 10 years, retail will be gone. A lot of jobs are going to be automated or AI the way. So what do we do with 20 million new people who just came into this country? What could we do? Like like you said, you know, the coal miners that have been doing coal mining for 30 years, a 54-year-old man... Is not going to become a computer coder no. overnight. He didn't want to become a computer coder where he was young enough to, right. to, to do it. Because he was <laughs> unskilled, so he was down in the coal mines. Yeah. Right. So what do we do? We have th- those those people that are going to be displaced out of the workforce, and we're taking in more people who are coming in. I don't know what I don't know the answer. I yeah. mean, even the most intelligent people don't have the answer no. to that question. It's a very difficult question. I think that race and racism get caught into it and we put so much value on that it's a racist thing when it's class and it's economics um, and resources. Um, and we we shroud that under the cover of race. But when you break it down it's it's what I'm talking about. That's really the problem. Um, and I think if Trump spoke about the problem and not use race, but race is what America's about. It has always been yeah. thing that's been about. It's always how you present it. So with him, he doesn't present the economic side of it no. because he doesn't understand the economic <laughs> side of it. And the people that he's speaking to don't understand that. Oh, they would never understand that even if you drew pictures. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What they do understand Race. is the other side, yeah. which he believes, too. I don't see him and think, oh, this guy's not a racist. Going back to that whole issue with the Central Park Five, mm-hmm. 
he took out an ad in the paper at that time and, and all that. So advocating for the death penalty for these kids. He's Archie Bunker. I try to stay away from labels. I think that he understands the power of race. And he is surfing the race wave, um, to put it that way. Is he generally a racist that he hates or wants? He can't be. I'll be surprised a 70-year-old man that was born in <laughs> New York City and, and, and segregated uh, because of his wealth doesn't have um, a, a racial bias um, to him. I think we all do, but I, I'm, I'll be surprised if he doesn't. This is America. To, not to know of race is not to be an American. So um, is he motivated by race? Uh, that I don't know. I think a lot of what he does is he's pandering to people of let me not say of lower intellect of people who are now... I'll say it. Okay. <laughs> people. Well, I think there's a portion that's lower intellect, and I think yeah. there's just a portion of people who are have anxiety of where where they're going to be 20 years from now. and um, Probably in the same place, because that generation never moves right. out, though. It is also innate in human beings. Um, fairness is one thing, and also the fear of the other is, is universal. Um, so it's easy to motivate people through fear. And when people don't look like you, <laughs> they're brown people, they're whatever, and you then uh, characterize them as that and then lump everybody together, fear is a huge motivating factor. And I think he and his people who are behind them understand how fear motivates people and sure. gets even It gets them the rational, votes that they need to stay yeah, uh, even well-meaning, nice people, you know, uh, God-fearing. I, I always say that. I say, I, 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 obviously, people love you and your father. You, you love your kids. I don't think you're an evil person. I just think that you're, you allow fear um, to get inside of you and to motivate your brain to not hate or dislike or want to agree with a position that if we sat down and broke it apart, you would never agree with. But fear is motivating you. Um, fear, um, uh, you know, a friend of mine, a lot of what's going, uh, 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 the common thread I see with a lot of Trump supporters, especially male Trump supporters, is that they, um, they're dissatisfied with their life. And it goes Absolutely. back to what you're saying. They didn't take advantage of their whiteness, <laughs> to, to put it in better words. It's like you had a, a head start in the race sure, and you lost the race to somebody else who was like 40 yards behind you. And then they had, of course, traumas in their lives and they're attaching all these things. And here comes Trump saying, just like I'm not comparing him to Hitler in the sense that he committed genocide, but Hitler did a very similar propaganda, which sure. would say, well, you know, all your problems is because of those people. Right. And that is such a primordial, uh, instinctual thing that we have in our brain, in the you know, in our primitive brain, or our reptilian brain, to make that connection. And as you see, he's not an eloquent speaker, so he's just blah. He's just vomiting simple stuff that you could take, compute, and it's hitting the back of your reptilian brain and say yes. And that's how he got elected. It's just like he said everything that the people who are in those circumstances wanted to hear. And they just said, I agree with it. But right. if you ask them, like I said, when you debate them and you ask them to think it out for themselves, they can't defend anything. So it's not their own thoughts. 
It's sort of like they've been hypnotized by fear. I could get where fear, I understand how fear can motivate you know, uh, people to do atrocities. We sure. look at all the genocides <laughs> that were committed sure. in It tends to be fear and then creating the other, whether it, was a, whether it was in Rwanda, whether it was in Chechnya, wherever it is around the world. You say that those people are the reason why your life sucks <laughs> and yeah. people will go kill sure. those people by the millions. Sure. And that's unfortunately where I think, thank God we're not killing each other by the millions. We're right. arguing, people are not fighting. Um, we're a little more civilized um, in, this con- in this country, but this is what's going on. There's a great big divide uh, amongst people and he, that's what he's campaigning on and that's what he's hoping to keep. Uh, that's the American way. Uh, that's how the elites have always became elite. I think this is the only country historically where the middle class only blames the poor and never the rich. Like in France, when they revolted, they were like, oh, no, no. <laughs> we got to go get that monarch and go kill them. They're the problem, not the serf. They're the problem. Same thing in Russia, same thing in most revolutions. They went after the elite. They did not go after the lower class. Here we have middle class that will support the rich that are killing them because the rich were able to convince middle-class people their problems are the poor. And it's still like that. So you you get people that defend corporate welfare. Because they're the ones giving you the jobs. <laughs> exactly. And believe in trickle-down uh, <laughs> trickle economy. You get them to... They'll believe that in two seconds. I mean, we went... I always tell people, we went to war, a civil war, where maybe 10% of the people controlled most of the enslaved people, the other 90% were fighting against their own economic interests. And they went and killed themselves by the thousands to protect the elite who were using cheap labor, which didn't afford them to be able to compete in the market because how much better than free can you get? Right. And they went and died. That is the history of America um, and how we were formed. And it still is true to today. And Trump is just using what has been used. He's not original. Nothing that he's doing is original. Mm. He's just using, maybe they did research on exactly what has been historically proven to motivate this population. And he's just singing those tunes and everybody's listening to the song and agreeing with the song without even understanding what the song really saying. He's doing it to perfection because these people find him relatable how are they relatable to a guy who shits in a gold (laughs) toilet bowl because he talks like they do you know it's like i told a friend of mine it's the theory of the new bully he's my bully so he's bullying the bully who bullied me that's why when i have conversations with people on the other side you know the anti-trump people i'm like they don't care Mm -mm. he could do no wrong he could grab you by the pussy he could say what he wants to he's a new bully on the block that's protecting you from the old bully on the block. So you give him carte blanche. Listen, as long as you're not bullying me mm-hmm. and you're bullying the bully, I could care less what you do. And part of America is the underdog. And I think you know Trump, nobody thought he was going to win, including me. Um, part of it is the underdog. Part of it is that it's a John Wayne, you know, I could say whatever the fuck I want to say with no social filter whatsoever. And then part of it is just that, that he's my bully. And as long as he's my bully, (laughs) just like, you know, people with religion, if that's my Jesus or my belief, what he does, I'll 
do acrobatic, you know, intellectual acrobatics to to believe in it because right. I want to believe in it, and right. I think that's um, where Trump is, and that's why it's hard to have conversations with people because that is why they like him is because he's their bully, and they don't care as much as we know. Well, look at what he did, and look at this thing. In any other arena, if you ask them outside of Trump, would they agree with this? They'll say no. But as insert Trump, then it's he's my bully, and I'm, I'll let him do whatever he wants. There is no more perfect example of white privilege yeah. than Trump, because right. there's absolutely nothing exceptional about him. No. And you touched on that before, where white people don't necessarily have to be exceptional. So if you look at who the president was before... Right. Exceptional. A super exceptional <laughs> individual. You know, exactly. all the things that he accomplished. Hey. He was a constitutional professor. Exactly. And then At Harvard. At Harvard. <laughs> and you have these yahoos yeah. saying, he's not for the Constitution. I'm like, the guy taught he's constitutional law. Like, he's yeah. a law professor. Right. That's like saying a nurse is anti-medicine uh, uh, yeah, or something. Medicine or doctor. I'm like, no, retard. This is what he does. Oh, right. he's stupid. I'm like, I said, listen, I know a lot of people. I have not met one person that went to Harvard. Not one. I don't have a, a person that can say, oh, yeah. yeah. And I know My neighbor down the street went to yeah, I know thousands of people. You know how hard it is? And he wasn't there, but... And before that, he went to Columbia. Yeah, it wasn't like he got grandfathered in. No. His grandfather went and he got in because right. of whatever. There's a college term. You get If your, if your parents went there, you could get to go in there, mm -hmm. whatever it's called. Um, so he didn't get any of that. You know what I'm saying? He didn't get cronyism. He, didn't get, he mm -hmm. worked himself, him and his wife, because his wife went to Princeton. It's not like she's a dope either. Um, and you're calling them stupid. And I'm like, well, where did you graduate from? Cause right. <laughs> Community <laughs> college. I'm like... I could get that you disagree with what he's sure. saying. You're entitled to disagree, but stupid? Mm. Nah. <laughs> no, not even close. Yeah, I was like, I'm not going to get you that one. So say that you don't disagree with what he's saying. That I could give you, but don't, don't say it's stupid. You know, most people just, they don't even know, you know, most of the arguments is like monarchy arguments. Well, if he wanted to do, I was like, this is not a monarchy. Uh, he, it's not what he wants, and, and, and we pass laws. I said, you do know we have a House of Representatives. <laughs> I said, they have no idea how the government even functions. So they think like, well, one person could go in there and do and change everything. I said, that's not how the president works. This is right. a representative of, uh, democracy. This is not a monarchy. Right. So if it was a monarchy, yes, granted, what you're saying is right. You could put it all on his plate because he's the... And all be all to it. That's not how this country is. No. So obviously, you don't understand this country, but you're a patriot. But anyway, you don't understand how this country functions, and that's not how it functions um, to do those kind of things. So yeah, we get um, Trump is you know he's not exceptional. Nothing he's at not, all. Nothing. Nothing exceptional nothing about does, him. But he um, he he saw the wave. Uh, he's not a stupid man. Um, um, there are people who are book smart and then there's people who are people smart and he was people smart. Um, he's always been, even since the um, the Central Park Five, I don't think he believed in any of that stuff, but he was trying to get attention. He wanted to be in the front pages. He knew that race will get you there and it will get you there quickly. And he played that card. So that's where I have a difficult time. I think that's what he's doing more than he is this avid racist He's just playing the cards that he knows that work. Um, and he's using them to perfection. Um, so to that point, I say he's not a dumb man. You got to be kind of smart because you're motivating. Mm -hmm. You motivated and you millions of people who your message resonated to. And that will not only did it resonate to, but they got up and went to vote.
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's not like, yeah, I agree with them, but fuck, I'm not going to walk three blocks. Right. People got up in masses and went to vote. So he had to know him and his staff. I don't think it's just him, his ideas, but him and his staff um, had to know that we were in that in that ebb and flow that we see throughout America. Again, there's not, uh, if you know his, American history, there's not nothing new. Um, and he knew that the tide and the wave was coming and this is how he could have won. And he did it. He pulled it off. I, I mean, I didn't believe it that he would do it <laughs> myself. I, I think America... At, at times, I feel that, that he didn't even expect to win because he's been running since 2000. Yeah. And, and it's always been kind of like a fluke and a joke. And and it's like, yeah, okay, this fucking guy, he's, right. he's a dope. Right. I'm not sure he expected to win either. Yeah, I don't think he expected to win. But I, I mean, think, was he really in it? Like, I, I don't know. Like, Well, I think he was in it really for the attention because one thing that you cannot argue is that he's not a narcissist. Now, if you make a narcissist argument, I was like, oh, that, that he is. That could be proven sure. because he doesn't see anything outside of two inches from his face. Right. Um, he doesn't care. He's not a compassionate man or an empathetic man. He could give three F flying Fs because he never had to. Again, going back to children, you know, if you're born rich... And white. <laughs> That's it. The world yeah. is yours. The world is your oyster. Like, you don't have to care about anybody. What right. you think, I could care less if you don't like me. He could be gauche. He could be crass. He could be tacky with gold things. He could give a fly. Yeah, he's going to be like, yeah, who gives a fuck? <laughs> I'm still rich. Uh, right. Yeah, go back to wherever you can. Right. And you can hear that's how he talks to people, right? Like, yeah, fuck you, fat. So uh, yeah. he he doesn't see like I have to have a social filter because there's a consequence. There is no consequence when you're rich because no. they're not going to take your money. That is the thing about Trump. I think he did find he was able to find how he came at the perfect time where we have a global economy. We have manufacturers jobs leaving by the you know, by the millions. People are jobless. Their futures don't look very promising. And he came and said, "This is here are the people who mm-hmm. are causing these problems to happen to you, and I'm going to build a wall to protect you from this. I'm going to, I'm going to tax China and bring this back. I'm going to bring jobs back." He said mm-hmm. everything that they were going to bring coal mining back. Hope, and there's no greater thing than giving people who feel oppressed right hope. And this is the cycle of when white people felt marginalized. This is an uh, the the era of marginalization or feeling marginalized, yeah. but a certain group of white yeah, people, yeah, right? Yeah. In middle, in middle, well, the people who voted for yeah. you know, Wisconsin, uh, the states, the swing states that there's West no Virginia, jobs. yeah, that there's no jobs, and those are the people. I think he went in thinking like, well, at worst, I get, at best, I get great publicity mm-hmm. out of this. I, there's yeah. nothing that's gonna go wrong. Right. NBC uh, will renew The Apprentice. Right, and I think that. Part of the reason, obviously, for him, two things that I think he definitely is, is a capitalist, you know, a vulture capitalist, because he just, he cares about money, and he'll walk over your prone body, he could care less about how he can make his money, he's making his money, and a narcissist, those two things, I think, are inherently who he is as a person. A racist, uh, you know, uh, who knows, uh, racial bias, bigot, yes, uh, racist, I don't know. I can't, you know, we can't really tell you what's in somebody's mind. And obviously people be like, well, look, he hung out with XYZ in the 70s. And these people say he's not a racist who are black. And 
that's what makes it a little harder argument because um, I don't think he cares about race. He cares about money. If you're black and you have money, he, can, right. he won't be like, no, I don't want your money. If you're black and poor, then he's like, no, 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 no. I can't have you fucking up my investments, properties, right. and nobody's going to want to live in it. So <laughs> there's a, that's where race and class sure. kind of clash. And um, I think the left on the left side, everything is race, 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 race. When sometimes it's not really race, it's really class, 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 class. But how do you separate those two things that have been enmeshed historically in this country mm-hmm. uh, become the problem. And, you know, for me and you, uh, if I own property, I don't want to see my property value go down. I, I'm not a racist. <laughs> I, I invested $80 million. I wanted to make money. I'm a capitalist. And if a certain group of people who look a certain way and act, behave a certain way, lowers my property, I'm not going to want them in there I'm not going to want them in there. Oh, they're Latinos. I'm going to put them there and they're destroying my property. No, like, you know, you're a homeowner. I'm a homeowner. I'm not renting to a Latino that's going to destroy me. Oh, I don't care if a Latino destroys it. It's like my property and it's an investment. I don't care who the hell you are. You know what I'm saying? So there is the economics that is tied into a lot of stuff. So if you peel back the layers right underneath the racial layer you are going to see the economic and class a river that's flowing under it that keeps race above water and that seems to be the angle that most of the left media um promotes is just race 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 which sometimes is not race or race is not weighted as much as class is and i think we should talk about the class issue and then how race impacts class. Um, so we could get a better picture of what's going on than just making it purely a racial issue without understanding how the class, because when we look at the history of America, most of the race riots during the 1919s were because of class. Uh, you had the Southern migration out of the South all the way into Northern cities that were taking away jobs. When World War One vets came back, they can't compete. These mm-hmm. people are working for 25 cents. I was working for 50. Who are they going to take? They're going to take the 25 cents. And that's how race riots happen. It didn't happen only because you were black. <laughs> it happened because of class. Mm-hmm. And class was the fuel to why things happen. And that is historically how it has happened in America, is that class and um, the class struggle um, and keeping classes separated by race has been the way that the elites have been able to keep themselves from being overthrown and getting killed like they did in France. That people were like, wait a minute, you want me to go fight some civil war so you could keep your plantation and make millions of dollars and I'm like sharecropping somewhere trying to make 30 cents? No, but we did it. And and if you sit there and fathom like, why would somebody do that? It's You have more in common with the slave as a poor white than you did with the elite white. But because this is where race came into, you know, the history of race, since they gave you a color and said, well, you're better than, because of your color, than blacks, slaves, you're a little better than they are. And that, that's, again, another human condition. And that was just enough for them. That was just enough. (laughs) And they were willing to go to war and do everything else um, that fought against their own economic interests that happened with slavery, that happened during the Industrial Revolution when you know the labor movement was coming on, why they didn't allow blacks into the labor movement and kept them separated out of unions. 
Uh, if they united and got people to unite, they would have more power against the factory owners and against the industrialists. But the industrialists knew, like, well, fuck, we got to keep these race people divided so they don't have more power to overcome us. So when you look at the, the root causes of where these race issues come from in America, it normally tends to have an economic basis to it. And it still does to, to, to today with now immigrants coming in, like you were saying, you know, taking jobs, like they're coming to your job and taking it, filling jobs that obviously Americans don't want to do mm-hmm. for the most part and filling those jobs. And now they feel just like they did when, um, with Tulsa, Oklahoma, with Wilmington, with uh, Rosewood, they don't like to see us prosper. It's like, wait, 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 we have the complexion. <laughs> Somebody told us that my whiteness gives me an upper hand but you overpassed me. I think that's the backlash that you saw most whites didn't like Obama. I get, I'm sure you get the same issue too. I get the same backlash mm-hmm. as well because I'm an intellectual person of color and nothing does a white person hate that a smart, <laughs> a smarter per, something, somebody who they feel is smarter than they are, that they think like, no, I had a head start. There's no way you beat me in the race that... I, it was rigged for me since Obama was Harvard edu- I mean what, there was nothing you could get at him it was like he was smoking crack he had prostitutes <laughs> you had they Point had nothing stars. right and yeah. people like us too we're well educated well read well spoken we're civic minded we're good parents it's like you can't get me we're well spoke um, and they don't like to hear an educated it, 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 it bugs them uh, it annoys a little. I mean, I've dealt with that. That's the other side of dealing with being able to to move fluidly um, with different ethnic groups, uh, aka white people, and other. You know, tends to be like, um, I'm, I'm sure you get the same thing. We're accepted because they're not threat. Um, we don't threaten them because we're not rough or rugged and, and sound like them. If they will close their eyes, they'll feel like, oh, that's a white guy sitting next to me. They kind of feel so they don't feel that threat. I'm like one of the good ones, you know, yeah. like oh. You know, all of them, not you, Rob. Not you. I say, I say, just them. And I've actually heard that. Yeah. yeah. When we say we don't want Mexicans, it's not you. It's different. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, really? <laughs> Why am I different? Yeah, what part of Mexico right. makes me different? But, right. Um, yeah, so we get a lot of that. So um, I have gotten a lot of pushbacks and conversations because I, I'm going to speak my mind. I don't care if you like it or not. Um, and I'm not going to agree with you. I'm not somebody who is pretending to be white whatever that may be, but I, I don't, I'm not agreeing with you because I'm trying to belong um, to your group. Um, I'm, going, I'm going to defend positions that I feel are defensible, and I usually use history as my guide because you, you can't kind of, it's your, first of all, it's your history that I'm using against you anyway, so I'm going to choke you with your own history because it's like, I didn't make this shit up. You did it, and you wrote it in the books. I just so happened to read these books, and I'm able to now uh, give you rebuttals based on what you wrote about your own history. So, um, yeah, we get into, um, I think that's a lot of what happened with Obama. Um, it's something that I experienced as well. You know, uppity, what they'll call an uppity nigger, you know, somebody who doesn't know his place. Like, yeah, they'll try to act smart. It's like, we're acting smart. It's like, no, I, I, I am smart. Mm-hmm. I say, and I get a lot of that issue that people wanted me to, to be stupid. And I guess a lot of, especially a lot of my former athletes that I played with, you know, you're an athlete, you're a jock, you're stupid, you know, and I'm like, no, no, I was exceptional, an athlete, and I'm an exceptional 
intellect, I, I, I read. I wasn't one of these stupid people. I said, so you use big words. Big words. What is that? <laughs> it's like, what big words am I using? Yeah. I'm not using anything. I said, I always say, I said, okay, well, does it make sense to say two plus two plus two plus two plus two? Plus, I'll say two times six. Why do we shorten it to, we use uh, multiplication instead of addition? Because I could find a word that means the same thing as this long sentence in one word. It just makes language even better. I said, sure. there's this thing called pick up a book. <laughs> and maybe if you picked one up, you have big words of your own. <laughs> so, right. Anti-intellectualism is another huge issue that we're having. Sure. Most people, they, they, they want, you know, uh, books, what's it called? Uh, something for dummies. You know, the, yeah. they, they just want, and that's what Trump does. He dumbs it down to their level where people could, you could get the message across in two seconds. Yeah. And people don't want to hear... Like I said, these are very multifaceted, multi-layered problems. Have simple solutions, but everybody wants a simple solution. So a wall, yeah, they put a wall. Everything ends like there's no ladders. People don't dig under. Please, people are gonna come. Uh, people will find a way. And you know, when you look at history again, you know, uh, a lot of the immigrants. Yeah, these are these are friends of mine who are uh, descendants of. Italians, Irish, Jewish. I'm like, are you insane? Dude? I say, but the problem is that now they're three or four generations removed. And this mm -hmm. goes back to, you know, bringing your kids, our Latinos' abilities to bring their kids back to their countries. These people never been to Italy. They don't know what it is. Right. And they don't have the grand, the great-grandparents aren't around or the grandparents aren't around to tell them how heavily discriminated they were when they came here. Sure. So they could feel empathy and compassionate for these new immigrants are coming. So their argument is, oh, well, my great-grandparent, whatever, came in legally. And I was like, there was no such thing as legally at the time they were no, coming in. No, absolutely not. <laughs> so I don't even know what the hell you're talking yeah. about. There was no such thing as legally or illegally. Right. They were fleeing famine. They were fleeing right. fascism. They were fleeing. And they came, they jumped on boats and took their asses over here. Sure. And we had a process to let people in because, again, economy, re economic reasons, it made sense. We needed cheap labor. Obviously, they were discriminated like hell. But they, it wasn't legally or illegally. No. It was the issue because I said if Italy was attached to the, the continental United States in the 1890s when they were struggling with fascism and stuff, you think they would have crossed the border? Why do you think that your great-grandparents came here? Because where they were, it was there was no job opportunities. Sure. The, the, all the same struggles why people are coming here today sure. are the same reason why you came. Now you want to use the word technically, legally, but there was no such... And, pe and your great-grandfather or great-grandmother would have came, whether it was legally or illegally, because the situation they were fleeing from was that bad sure. that they had to flee. And this is what we're seeing again. Except the world has changed, as I've spoken before. It's a global economy. How do you take in unskilled laborers? What do you do? We have no answers. We have better answers when it was Southern Europeans, when it was people from the Balkans. We had a better solution because there were factory jobs. Just go in there. There was ghettos. There was stuff. And there wasn't so many. Uh, um, the cities didn't have such a large municipality and taxes to have to support a whole bunch of people. It was like Catholic you know, the church played mm -hmm. a bigger role in, in charities. It wasn't like we had public assistance. It wasn't like we had so we didn't have those those safety nets that we have now that we actually pay taxes for. So it's it's a different era and a different time, but the cause of what caused people to leave and the reason why they left is still true. 
for your great grandparents as it is for the new immigrant who's coming trying to cross the border sure. at all costs to get here. So that's where you have to say that there's a commonality that you should feel some kind of empathy and compassion for yeah. people who are struggling, who are trying to make a better existence. Now, are there going to be criminals? Are, uh, is everybody coming here of for a greater life? Of course not. Uh, sure. You know, the talents were, <laughs> your social mobility was in large part due to organized crime. It wasn't for that, controlling laborers, controlling the docks, controlling you know, uh, uh, police and law enforcement. Construction. construction. You guys, were, and of course, World War II that allowed you to get veterans uh, VHA loans and everything else and the GI Bill, you guys weren't considered white. So white is kind of fluid. The term, you know, white, Italians weren't white. No, Jews not at all. weren't white. No. Irish weren't white. I said, until after World War II, then you got to kind of incorporate it into because you were able to get social mobility through government-sponsored programs like the GHI Bill. I mean, I know these other bills that you were able to, to, to get up a mobility to. So... Um, again, most people have no idea of the history. No, they never behind. heard of it. They, they never heard of it. So they're like, huh? Who? <laughs> like, right. this is why I know is not their position because they're not even educated on right. the position that they're fi- kind of fighting. So I tried to do my best to give them some historical perspective uh, and, and books to read. I'm like, listen, read this book. If, if you really want to learn, I, don't take my word for it. I could be bullshitting you too. Here's a book. It has. It has a reference in the bottom, in the back. You can sit there and dig, sit there and look at, and go research, pull the papers, find like the original um, document and read it yourself. But read. Yeah. <laughs> we touched on a lot of things. Yeah. And it was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. But in closing, yeah. Trump, does he get reelected? I think the only way he does not get reelected if this, ta- this war with China, with tariffs, um, completely blows up in his face, which it looks like it's where it's moving towards. Um, if these tariffs blow up in his face and these farmers d- can't sell their, their things, you're going to lose that portion of America who voted for you on the hope that you were bringing them. Um, because obviously... The manufacturer jobs have not come back, so he can't run. Uh, he's bringing that back again. Uh, the wall has not been built either, so that that's something he could say is still going to possibly happen. But the manufacturer jobs, we already know, those suckers are not coming back. Never coming back. Right? So uh, now these tariffs start hitting people because most of what we buy now is from China. And most of the small businesses rely on Chinese products to be able to mark up and be able to make a profit. If mm-hmm. not, if they have to build it in America, they won't gain any profit because it's going to be too expensive. So if the war, he might have stuck his foot in his mouth by, go, by saying he's going to do what he was going to do with China and hoping that and thinking that the American public would endure higher cost of common products that they need. I think that if that, st- if that happens, I think those swing states that were looking for those new jobs that never came, you have retail closing down, you know, these jo- more jobs still disappearing, and now their fixed income, a lot of their fixed income is now being lost because now the products that they have to buy are so high, I think he would lose that edge that he had that put him over the electoral college to win those things. The China thing has to really explode in his face that people feel it in their pocket enough to be like, this guy sold me 
for the moderate Trump supporters. Now the the the, the diehards yeah, they yeah, don't yeah, care. Yeah. The cult followers they no. care less. No, because it, it doesn't impact their pockets. But the moderate ones who said, "I'm going on hope that he'll make something better." I think he's going to be hard pressed to win those people back because. The, what he promised and the hope that he promised, I didn't see anything he no. didn't deliver on on any of those things. So the Colts, I don't think there's enough cult followers for him to get reelected. He needs those moderate people who who think that he delivered on something. And this China thing might be, he might have bit off more than he could chew with uh, putting this fight on uh, China because... China is a communist state, so it could control, it could oppress the population a mm. lot more than we can here. Yeah. Uh, not that we can't, but not as much. Right. Uh, we have still some freedom of press and stuff like that. Sure. Over there, they have zero, so the state controls everything. So they could absorb their population being disgruntled way more than we can here they just shut them down yeah this is like oh you don't like it. we have more prisons to put you in right over here um it will be harder and i think that will prevent people to go out and vote and maybe they have to come up with new laws of voter you know, you're gonna get back to you know voter uh fraud and that mm -hmm. panic that you have all these millions of people and they all these illegals voting and they have to concoct something to prevent these people from coming out because you're gonna have a lot of people now that didn't vote in the election that are going to vote against Trump. And plus, if he loses the moderate people who voted for him on hope, then I think we have a chance. But if not, I don't see any of the Democratic nominees yeah. are, could win. Yeah. They have to win by default that nobody's going to vote for him. Um, and that's how an you could get rid of him. But if none of the new ones are saying anything that people are going to believe right. I, I don't think i think if the economy stays strong so to speak mm -hmm. then he's walking in again yeah. if we go through a recession mm -hmm. which some people are predicting right. then then there's a good chance someone else gets yeah. in but he's gonna have a hard time winning in a recession especially with china that would be his downfall that he bit off too, he made one too many promises that he was gonna change all these uh tariffs and take over control but in in, in large part Whichever president comes in is going to have to do something about China because China is becoming now what America has been dominating the markets for mm -hmm. this long. China is being able to dominate because it is a communist state and there's no child labor laws. There's no OSHA. There's no workman compensation. <laughs> they could make something for 25 cents. Yeah. Well, over here, you have to pay a living wage. And right. you just, how do you compete? Yeah, make it for 25 cents. Ship it here. Exactly. It still costs 35 cents. So how are you supposed to compete with that? Can't. You just can't. And I think that's the problem <laughs> that you see all these anti-globalists fighting against. But that's that ball has started rolling you can't isolate America because obviously China is so huge and our farmers depend on them buying our goods. So if we don't buy theirs, they don't buy ours. <laughs> You're going to have it. a lot of people with problems. So it. it's, it's going to be a hard, um, if he doesn't win down, like you said, if there's not a recession, I think he'll have a very hard time. I think people just throw darts and vote for any Democratic nominee just yeah. by default because yeah. they just don't want to go with him. It's like, all right, it can't be bad. Maybe they have something. I'm on Andrew Yang. I, I like a lot of his ideas. Um, even if he doesn't win, I, I would like to see with whichever Democratic nominee be able to absorb some of his ideas and see if they could kind of put them into practice. 
his are more sensible than some of the Bernie Sanders stuff. I think the label socialism just throws... Yeah, that kills him. It kills America, and it's like... I, I mean, I heard a couple of his things. I I don't see how he's going to... You know, it's, it's a great idea. I don't see how you could put the idea into action. So he doesn't really tell me how he's putting it into action. He just has a great idea. And I'm like, the idea is great, but in application, how are you going to be able to do it? That's where... When I hear him debating or talking, it kind of, and I'm like, mm. Andrew Yang has an idea, and he has uh, an application of how to to um, be able to execute the idea mm-hmm. better and more substantial than Bernie uh, Bernie Sanders does. I, I think he's the idea is great, but I don't think he's going to be able to execute that. Joe, this was a lot of fun. Thank we got to do this again. There's so, still a lot of things that um, we can go into, and I'd love to mm-hmm. continue the conversation. Sure. I appreciate your time. Thank you. No problem. Thank you for having me.